Uh, those of you joining us via live stream, we are both thankful that you're joining us and thankful that we have that we're a church that has the resources and the desire to 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 invest those resources so that we can offer people that are worship that are worshipers of ours that are people members of this church that are traveling to still worship with us. And those of you who who are just checking out to see if this is real, it is. So we would love to have you join us in person if you're able. Let's offer prayer. We'll get started in the last part of Romans eight. Lord, this is your message for your people. It's not my message for them. And I know that there are things just in the preparation time that, that you've wanted to say to me. And my, my theology of preaching has always been that I work on the scriptures till they work on me. And that's what you want to bring to your people. Lord, if this time I'm wrong, then cloud my memory from the things I have planned, but clarify in my mind the things you want said because I only want to say what you want said, because we believe, Lord, your scripture tells us that your word goes out and will not return void. It will accomplish that which you've sent it to do. Lord, send this word out and accomplish that which you want it to do. We agree with you, we participate with you, and we ask you to put your glory on it. In Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Now, last week, just a reminder, and those of you, I know it's summer, so it's hard for, for everyone to be here all the time. Um, we talked about one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament, Romans 7, and that it, it, basically it's kind of defined, it can be defined as that uh, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess cycle, and after a while, when you, you realize you just keep doing the same thing, and, and it's this thing that's living in you. It's not you, but in, in, sooner or later you give up. If it's the, we've got a law of the sinful nature that lives in us, that's what condemns. And then we have the law that God gave that keeps the sinful nature in check. But that, all that does is show us that we're not capable. And so God sent the law of the spirit. That's what we're talking about today. The law of the spirit is the law that saves it's through the person of Jesus Christ and him sending his spirit to live in us. That's what makes us capable and able. And God is, God's desire is not to make us more happy, but to make us more holy. And we're going to talk through that today. But I want to give you an illustration because this whole passage, this whole uh, book of Romans, when it comes right down to it, it's guilt. Shows us our guilt. We talked through seven chapters of that. It shows us what grace is, and that continues throughout the book. And it, and it encourages us to live in gratitude for what Christ has done for us. But really, if you want to put a word on the book of Romans, this is it. Hope. Not hope college. Hope. And hope is spoken to here, but I want to give you just a little attitude, a little idea, maybe not an attitude adjustment, but an altitude adjustment, kind of where you're looking for finding your hope. Um, and it, it's a silly little story. I'm, I don't know if it's true, but I hope it is. And it's about this little boy, this little boy's nine, 10 years old. Uh, he, was, he was in a terrible accident and he, well, I'll tell you in a minute what was wrong with him, but um, he was missing a lot of school, and this school in a large city had, a, had a, a program set up that they had teachers, qualified teachers, that sometimes they would substitute, but they were, they were given and asked, they were given the opportunity to go to children who were convalescing in the hospital. Uh, I know it's a really big word, but people that are laying around the hospital. Um, take their schoolwork to them and tutor them to keep, so that when they come back to school, they're not far behind. They don't end up having to repeat a grade or something like that. So this teacher is asked to take to, to go to this boy in the hospital and to keep him up to date and to teach him about nouns and adverbs. 
So this teacher agrees to go, and this is what they're talking about in this class. And she shows up, and what she didn't know, and she was kind of shocked by, is that he had 30% uh, third-degree burns over 30% of his body, second-degree burns, and first-degree burns over the rest of his body. It was just this awful thing. So this teacher, this poor teacher, was shocked when she walked in because she thought maybe he had a, you know, maybe he had pneumonia, or maybe maybe he had had uh, a broken bone or something like that. They had to do surgery. She didn't know. So she walks in to talk about nouns and adverbs, and this little boy in this horrific state, she's just caught off guard. So she kind of stumbles through, walks through, talks through nouns and adverbs, all the while in her heart she's going, oh, this poor little boy. And she leaves, and she really felt like a failure. Like, I didn't, I didn't really accomplish what I was supposed to accomplish. I was so distracted and so shocked by this kid's condition. And the next day, one of the nurses asked her, what? What did you say to that boy? What did you do to that boy was the word. What did you do to that boy? Teacher, of course, she's feeling like she's done something wrong because she, she didn't feel good about it. She goes, oh, um, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I was trying to, and, and the nurse goes, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You don't know what I mean. We've been worried about this little boy, but ever since yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back, responding to treatment. It's as though he decided to live. And a couple of months later, when the little boy got back to school, this teacher was coming to pick up assignments for another convalescing child. She saw him, and she asked him, she, she tried to, you know, that day I was the teacher that came and talked to you about nouns and adverbs, and I really, I didn't feel very good. I didn't know what was going on. And the little boy, this is what he said. Um, he expressed it this way. Everything changed because they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, now would they? Who cares about nouns and adverbs if you're not going to be going back to school? This little kid picked up on the fact that someone else was giving him hope. They wouldn't teach a little boy about nouns and adverbs who's going to die, now would they? Now, simple little thing, but it changed his life. He decided that someone else believes that he's not going to die, so he believes he's not going to die. That is hope. There's more, but that is hope. Keep that idea in mind as you hear Paul talk to the church in Rome. Now, typically when we, when we read scriptures, we don't start in the middle of a section. Typically when we read scriptures, it always has a heading. Like there's a heading in here, more than conquerors. Normally pastors would start reading there, but I've got to go back up because we have to talk about hope in order to find out why we're more than conquerors. And it reads like this. Now, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who, are, who, who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what, they are, what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have... We wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts, meaning God the Father at that point, knows the mind of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that's living in us, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will." couple of things there that are huge that you can read right by with the flowery, churchy, biblical kind of language. One, God prays for you. God 
We love it. And, and we have testimony after testimony after testimony in the church when people have been in the hospital or when they're suffering or when there's this terrible thing. My family prayed for my brother yesterday who's had this back problem for his whole life. And now he's about to go through surgery. He has four to six months of recovery. And we don't want him to have to go through the surgery. So we are pleading on God, pleading to God on his behalf. We're interceding for him, asking God to heal him with confidence in the hope that we have. And you understand, and we hear often that, that, oh, I could feel, I could feel the church's prayers. I could feel people praying for us. We could just tell, we could taste how wonderful it was that people were praying for us. We could feel your prayers. But can you feel God's prayers? This tells us that the Spirit of God that lives in you prays to the Father and the Son on your behalf. That's what the word intercession means. It's kind of the opposite of what a preacher does. A preacher, and it's pretty audacious, stands in front of people interceding for God. We stand in front of people on God's behalf and speak his word to his people. But to intercede to God on your behalf is to pray. So God himself intercedes to God on your behalf. Not just our behalf, your behalf. The spirit of God lives in you. And even when you think everything's going good, but the Holy Spirit of God knows life's about to hit, he's praying to strengthen you. When you're in the middle of it, and you feel like you're losing hope, he is the hope that you hang on to. I don't know if you've recognized it. I don't know if you've ever really listened to it, or if you've ever really considered the fact that the God of the universe prays to the God of the universe on your behalf. It says here that the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot understand. One of the things, a side note, and I have nothing against conservation, those kind of things, but, but there are things in the world, there are people, we get a little bit misguided. We start, instead of worshiping the Creator, sometimes we can worship the creation. And I'm not, again, I'm not again. I, I want clean water, I want clean air, I do. I don't want us to be ridiculous and pollute our planet, but there are groups of people who understand that the, the creation itself is crying out with groans. The creation itself is saying something's wrong, as if in the, chain, the pains of childbirth, and they're right. But it's because even the creation that doesn't have a will of its own like you and I do, knows somehow that something is wrong. We hear it elsewhere in Scripture that if, that if you don't cry out in hallelujahs to God, the stones themselves will cry out. There's something about the whole world, the, the, every, every piece of energy and matter that we live within knows that what is supposed to be isn't. Now, sometimes we can get so caught up in the what isn't that we forget about what's supposed to be. So there are those of us who get so caught up in the, the, the creation that we end up bowing down to the creation instead of the creator on behalf of the creation. And sometimes we get so caught up in our own shame and our own guilt that we decide that, that we don't qualify for God's grace because we aren't part of everyone or we don't qualify as all, even though the scripture tells us different. And that's where the last part of this message is going to land. I'm going to try to talk to the people who, like me, try to disqualify ourselves from God's love, who try to convince ourselves that God, sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent, 
that God is keeping a score, then we're told he's not. So if you're someone who thinks ever, I know God loves me because he has to, he's God, but you don't have a sense that God has a tender affection for you. You don't think that he carries your picture around on his iPhone and he says, hey, let me show you my kid and your picture's there. Then listen, please, because we've heard about the guilt. We've heard about the sin. We've heard about the endless cycle of sin, repent, sin, repent. But the gospel tells us something that our lives will not. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That he might, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers, that's us, and that he, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then should we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. It is God who justifies. Now, here's a weird, this is a, this is a strange, it's a tough verse. If you're just reading this devotionally, all the other questions have an immediate answer. Sometimes he answers the question with a question. But, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? I mean, but this one says, who is he that condemns? And then it goes on to talk about Jesus. So I just, in case you get stuck on this one, let me just give you, it's the best I can do. I've been working for a week on this. I don't like this. I don't like how Paul put it. It's colloquial and it works better in Greek than it does in English. It's an accurate translation, but it can kind of throw things off. Remember Jesus in John chapter eight with the woman caught in adultery? Remember the men caught her in the very act of adultery? I'm, I always wonder why they didn't bring the dude that she was with. You know, but they bring, they bring her up there and she's in the, in the outer courts of the, of the temple and she's wrapped in a sheet probably, but she certainly didn't give her time to put on her clothing. And so she's humiliated and she's standing in front of people and men are sitting there saying to Jesus, they're using a woman to test God. And they say, the law of Moses tells us that we're supposed to stone such a woman. What do you say? Condemning, accusing, shaming. And Jesus does what Jesus does so well. He bends down, and he starts to doodle. Some, everyone has all kinds of ideas of what he was writing. I am honest to God, and I, if he tells me I'm wrong, when I show up, I'll be fine with it. I think he's doodling, because I think he's, he's doing it to distract from the woman's shame to him. So they take the attention off of a, of a person and back onto God, and then Jesus is doodling. What is he? Can you see what he's? Can you see? I don't understand that language. And then he looks up, and he says, any one of you that's never messed up, you chuck the first rock and kill her. And one by one, the oldest first, they go away. And then what does Jesus say? Woman, no. Of course not. Because that would be accusing and condemning. Is there anyone less, left to condemn you? No one, sir. Then I don't either. Just go and don't do it anymore. Who is he that condemns? Jesus is saying, 
No one can throw a rock. No one can throw a stone. And Christ himself, who has the right to condemn, chooses not to. I've got to find it here. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. The Spirit prays for us. The Son prays for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship? How about persecution or famine? Nakedness? Danger? The sword? Violence? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, says Paul, and I know that was loud. It was intentional. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, says the apostle Paul, who speaks on God's behalf, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We love this. More than conquerors, nothing can separate. And I'm not being sarcastic. I just want you to realize that so we can become so familiar with this that we forget about it. We can become so familiar, and it sounds so great in songs, that we, that, that, that we, don't, we don't let it land. Now, we could talk about the angelic and demonic. We could talk about the powers. We can talk about violence. We can talk about all the heights and depths and all of it. But what we're going to talk about today, nor anything, or to translate into English, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. 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 You know what that, you know what nothing means? Nothing. When we do premarital counseling, we have this thing that we have couples take, and it, it's called prepare and rich. And it's an inventory that just takes a snapshot, snapshot of, a, of, a, of a relationship on the day they take it. That's all. Just gives us a springboard to dive into the pool of their relationship with. But one of the statements in there, you, you get a choice, strongly agree, agree, uh-huh, disagree, strongly disagree. And I always have to tell the guys, look, you get three threes, that's the uh uh-huh. Because guys will like, they'll save up their big one. You know, it'll be, yes, whatever, 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 if they don't really care about it or if it bothers them a little bit. But they save up the, the one thing that they really want to talk about. The, women are really honest. Men, not so much in these things because they don't want to get themselves in trouble. But there's this one statement that you're supposed to say, strongly agree, agree, uh, disagree or strongly disagree, and it's this. Nothing could cause me to doubt the love that I have for my partner. Well, any engaged couple is going to go, strongly agree. Nothing can cause you? So if you found out he was a murderer, Satan worshiper, a member of ISIS, a member of the Klan, nothing? See, nothing means nothing. Nor anything means nothing. What can separate you from the love of God through Christ Jesus? Nothing. Yeah, funny. But let's think about the things that, do, that we think do. And this is for those of you 
who've really messed up. Keep in mind that nothing means nothing. But if you are in that cycle, sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent, or if you've messed up so bad that you've convinced yourself that you live in a perpetual state of shame and guilt. And God can't love you. He's, yeah, he has to love me, but he's not really. He doesn't adore me. Here's what we do, folks. When we mess up, when we've done wrong, and when we're disappointed with God. Let's think about that. Has there ever been a time when you were absolutely certain that God said, this is what I want for you. This is where I want you to go. Or this is what I want you to pray. And then you're disappointed with the result. Have you ever, you, ever, you ever gone out on a limb and said, from now on, me and Jesus forever, no matter what. And then three weeks later, you stumble, fall, chip your teeth, and everyone saw it. You have two, maybe three responses to that, typically in human nature. One, shame, guilt, I'm terrible, it keeps you away from God because you just don't want to talk to him about it again. That's condemnation. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's shame. Christ didn't come to shame. If he did, he would have slapped that woman caught in adultery upside the head for what she had done. Guilt. You feel awful. You feel like a terrible person. Guilt does not come from God because guilt drives you from God God calls you to himself. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, but God loves you so much that he will allow you to try to separate yourself and become as miserable as you'd like to be. But they don't teach dying boys about adverbs and nouns. And they don't teach shameful or shame-filled, self-condemning or self-justifying people about no condemnation if there is condemnation. So you either find yourself separating yourself from God or you find yourself justifying yourself over other people. Well, yeah, I've messed up, but I've messed up like that guy. I've messed up like that woman. I, oh, you've seen what those people do. I don't, I'm not doing something like those guys in Charlottesville. At least I'm not that bad. Well, that's, that's the law and the law of sin. It's not the law of the spirit. And here's the other one. I feel like such a failure. I've done so much wrong. God's let me down. So I'm going to adjust my beliefs to now justify my behavior. So you get bitter at God. You get bitter at the church. You get bitter at his people. You get bitter at the things of God. And you decide that I'm just going to do what I want to do. That is my will, Lord, not yours. In other words, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. God won't abandon you. But he will let us do our best to abandon him until we become so miserable that he calls us back. Let me give you an example. I've told this story before. I'm going to tell it again. 2012, just a couple of days after Pastor Dan, at the instruction of the executive team, showed up at Heart of White Christian Reformed Church to ask me if I was interested in talking to them about the potential of being called here. Just the first little dating kind of thing. And I was in the middle of 
wrestling with, do I even want to say yes, I'll sit down and talk with someone, or what about here? And my friend, my best friend from high school, John, I'm not going to use his full name, um, he called and he talked to me about how bad his marriage has fallen apart, how his, his kids hate him, and he's lost all hope. He does, his, his business is shut down. He's going to have his house foreclosed on. You name it, it's about as bad as it gets. And we talked for a couple of days, and he calls me back, um, and he goes, this is what he says, I'm pretty sure I need to get saved. Huh. Wonder what God might want for me to do right now. Well, I'm sorry, I'm a little busy right now, so um, good luck with that. Of course not. I got in the car, I drove to his house. It's the house that, that, that I spent many a night in, played many, many, many games of ping pong in. Uh, he, he was my best friend in high school. And it, he's staying there because he's not with his wife or children at the moment, and his parents are gone. So we go up into his parents' bedroom, and we're sitting there, and he goes, I've been walking away for so long, it's been years. It's a long, I've been walking, it's a long way away. So I know it's going to be a long road back. And God, in his miraculous ability through the power of the Holy Spirit, said to me, say this, John, I know it's been a long road away, but it is not a long road back. You need to stop, turn around, and he's right there ready to embrace you. And that man, stuff came out of his nose, stuff came out of his eyes, he began to sweat all over his body, and he hugged me like a man who just found salvation. He could not have done more wrong. He could not have been a worse husband or a worse father. He could not have been more angry. And he believed that he's gone away for so long, it's going to take so long to come back. But here it says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So he's not even separated, even though he believes he is. He stops, he turns around, and his Savior embraces him, and then the Savior picks him up and walks him back to the fold. Think about the picture of Jesus with the lost sheep. Remember when he says, if one is astray, I'm going to put them all, I'm going to put them in the pen, and he will track them. He will seek them. He will search them out. And when he finds them, that one, that one, not the 99, but the one, he's going to pick them up and walk them back. The long road back is the responsibility of Jesus, not the responsibility of the sheep. The walk away is what got them lost. The walk home, the, Jesus is the, I am the way. How do you get back? He knows the way. He is the way. You know the way, so walk with him. He will carry you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. But somehow, some way, the enemy himself or our own sinful nature, the law of the sinful nature, tried to convince us that that applies to everyone except me. Are you really that big a deal? I mean, I'm going to be a jerk here, but get over yourself. You think that you, out of all the people in all creation, that God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have everlasting life, except for you. Come on. Nothing. And you're part of Everyone, Jesus says, come to me if you're weary and heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Are you weary? Jesus loves you. Jesus prays to the Father 
for you. And the Holy Spirit that used to abide in the Holy of Holies in a temple doesn't live in the Holy of Holies in a temple. You are the Holy of Holies. And he lives in you. And that same presence of God prays for you. Even when you won't. Even when you can't. And even when you've disqualified yourself from the one thing that you can't qualify yourself for. You're not good enough. You're not qualified. And you deserve punishment. But he didn't punish you. He punished his son. And his son qualified on your behalf. You now are on the winning team. Not because of anything you've done but because of what has been done on your behalf. Folks, this is good news. And I want to speak one more time to the person that thinks, yeah, but not for me. You're the one that he leaves the rest of us behind to seek out. It's not a long road back, no matter what you've done. He is following you, seeking you, pursuing you, and maybe on occasion nagging you, reminding you who you are and whose you are. And if you would just stop, turn around, and bawl. Because the one who loves you more than any other, you find out he's right where you didn't believe he was. With you, behind you, embracing you, and willing to lift you up and take you home. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing can separate you from God's love. So stop trying so hard. You can't outrun him. You can't outlove him. And you can't outgood him. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the word of God for Community Reformed Church this day. Let's pray. Nouns and adverbs, Lord. No one teaches a dying boy about nouns and adverbs. And no one teaches people who believe they're condemned that there is no condemnation. So either our belief is wrong or you are. And I cannot believe that you're wrong. So, Lord, minister to us. Renew in us a right spirit. Forgive us and wipe away our self-condemnation, our guilt, our shames, and even our self-justifications so that we are in you and you are in us. In Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, those two that pray for us,
for the glory of God our Father. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. That's a look on his face. Smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ, all of you.